Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Good evening, church. If you're uh, a guest with us, I want to personally thank you for coming today and welcome to gathering with us. Um, We've been in a journey together in the book of Ephesians. And I love this book because it's uh, the guy who wrote it uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is a man named Paul. Uh, Paul was a really famous uh, big deal missionary, and he had spent three years in an ancient city called Ephesus. He started a church there just like you guys started here. Uh, We're a church plant as well. We've been a church plant for two years. And so Paul planted this church three years ago, and he finds himself in prison. And he's writing in prison to this church whom he loves about all of the blessings that God has given us in a relationship with Jesus. And so this week, what we're going to see is Paul's prayer for them. We saw his praise about God, but now we're seeing his prayer for them. And so if you're first time here, what we typically try to do is take books of the Bible and we want to walk through sort of verse by verse. Even if we preach on a topic, we still want to preach on a passage and walk through sort of verse by verse to see what God's word has for us. Um, also want to shout out, uh, a quick shout out to Chelsea and Brian's community group. You guys, I've heard great things from your retreat and you guys are back even today. I know you guys are tired and I'm grateful that you guys have come, but I love, just want to encourage your group. I love that you guys went on a retreat together to spend some time, get to know each other, to start off the semester. I love that. And a lot of the different groups are doing things that are similar, either going apple picking or hanging out over a meal or going to a Red Sox game. I love this church because they love each other and our people People really want to grow in the faith. So with that said, uh, guys, let's turn our attention to Ephesians chapter one and let's look at this idea of prayer. What does Paul pray for the church? And let's start this way. Uh, There's a late pastor named Warren Worsby and he tells a story of this man named William Randolph Hearst. He's a really rich guy. And once this guy got news of an extremely valuable piece of art and this man decided he had to have it in his collection. So Mr. Hurst was a privileged man. He's a wealthy guy. And he built this media empire after he founded the concept of yellow journalism. Again, this is a true story. So Mr. Hurst, he hired an agent to help him scour the galleries of the world to find the masterpiece that he determined had to be in his collection at any price. After months of painstaking search, they both finally found this art. It had been stored in a warehouse that was lost and forgotten. And this warehouse already belonged to Mr. Hurst. And he had owned this piece of art all along. Now, it's a funny story, but it's also a tragic one. To think about all the time and effort wasted searching for something he already owned, but never actually realizing it. And sadly today, this story is all too common to the Christian life where we find ourselves tragically entangled on a quest for something more in this life, something that has already been provided by God through our relationship with him. Have you ever found yourself in that spot? Like you might be here right now searching for something that God can already provide us in him. Some of us might be in this place today where you're seeking for a relational love, 
when the kind of love that you need is provided by God and it's an unconditional one and a never ending one. Today, you might be seeking for escape through, through comfort, through, through food or adventure or sexual pleasure because of the hardships of work and life. But Psalm 16 tells us that God is our refuge, our escape. And it tells us that he is where our satisfaction comes from. Or today, maybe you're seeking success in school or power through work to try to earn a value or a worth in the eyes of others when God has already proven your worth by living, dying, and raising from the grave in your place. Now, it's expected that we would pray for such blessings like love and comfort and power, right? If we didn't have them. But the tone of Paul's prayer today is not one of requesting these blessings, but that we would realize the blessings already given. That as verse 17 shares that we would have, and then here it is, here's the prayer, that we would have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him and the knowledge of every spiritual blessing that he has blessed us with in the heavenly places. And that's what today's scripture, guys, is all about. The author Paul is praying for God to give the Christians in Ephesus a true understanding and a right application of what they already have in their new relationship with Jesus. His prayer is for them to know just how magnificent, how unlimited are the blessings that already belong to them because of Jesus. So just like we saw in this opening story, Paul is seeking to spare the Ephesians from the same sad, tragic loss and wasted time that Mr. Hurst suffered. And he wants them to deeply understand what is already theirs in Christ and for them to see their, that their great God is already the source for their greatest needs. So that's why we've entitled today's message this, a prayer for great understanding of God's great blessings. So let's take a moment to pray that now that we would get this understanding today. Let's pray together, let's bow our heads. God, today, would you grant us the grace to begin to comprehend the magnitude and the significance of the blessings in which you have given to us? God, would you open up our minds to understand and our hearts to appreciate those gifts so that we may glorify you fully? God, then would you grant us the grace to fully live accordingly to those blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, verse 15 is where we start today. And Paul begins to wind down the first chapter of the six chapters that are in this book of Ephesians. He says in verse 15, take a look at it if you have your Bible, or I think we'll have it on the screen. Take a look at verse 15, it says this. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, Ephesians, in the Lord Jesus, and of your love towards all the saints in Ephesus, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Just a side note, uh, in this passage right here, we just see two characteristics of what it looks like to be a Christian. Two things, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. Th those are the markings of what a Christian would look like. They have great faith towards who God is and what he has done. They have trusted in him for their salvation. They believe that God has died for their sins and their faith is in him. So faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then a mark of a Christian, guys, is that we would have love for one another. 
And this is what I love about Coa Brighton is that you, friends, have these markings. You have a faith in the Lord Jesus that you would start a church in this wonderful city and that you have deep love for one another. And as Paul prays for this church, this is my joy that I get to say, because I've heard of your faith, church, and the love you have towards saints, I pray for you often. Guys, I love this. I just want to give you that kind of snapshot that I see this in the church of Ephesus, but I see this of our church. You have great faith and great love for one another. So after Paul's great praise to God for all the spiritual blessings in verses three through 14, remember guys, we had walked through three weeks of that, right? Where we unpacked 13 huge blessings. Paul starts out this whole book with these great praises for the spiritual blessings God has given But now he shifts the attention from Paul's great praise to Paul's great prayer for the church, right here in verses 15 through 23. And what's this prayer all about? It's there, he's asking that God would give them and therefore us today a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand the great benefits of these great blessings given to them by a great God. In fact, there's three particulars here that Paul prays for in this text. And this will be our three points of emphasis for today. We pray that God will give us today a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand three things. Number one, the great hope of our calling. Number two, the great inheritance of the saints. And number three, the great power of God towards us. Hope, inheritance, and power. So if you're taking notes, which we always encourage at our church, if you want to uh, grab an Ephesians journal that was at the front, we have the scripture on the left side and extra note section on the right side. And I wanna give you things to hang on to. That's what points are at a church. Uh, Think of almost like um, uh, as you walk in your house and you might have like a, a hanger to put your clothes or a hat rack. And so these points are things to kind of hang your hat on throughout the week to kind of help you remember the goodness and the grace and the love of God. So three things we're focused on, God's hope, inheritance, and power. So let me show you what I mean by those three points. Look at verse 16 again. The author Paul writes or prays this. He says, church, I do not cease or I do not stop to give thanks for you. And I remember you in my prayers. Just a side note, guys, let me ask you, do you pray for your church like this? Do you pray for your leaders without ceasing? You know, during Paul's day and part of the Jewish tradition, they would pray three times a day. I think that's a great practice. I'm not saying that you have to do that tradition, but I think what Paul's saying is that he's constantly keeping a spirit of prayer. He says, I don't stop to give thanks to them. I don't stop praying for them. I'm remembering them constantly. So let me ask you, who in your community group are you praying for? Think about the people that you know best in your family or the best in your work environment or roommates. Are you praying for them? This passage encourages us to not stop praying for them. And I, as your friend and pastor, ask, would you please pray for me and my family constantly that I would love well and lead well and do God's will in my role as your pastor? And then it says in verse 17, right? So it says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I remember you in my prayers. Why? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, meaning glory means he has all the power to get this done. Whatever he's about to pray, he's saying the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, who has all the power and majesty. Here's what I'm asking of him. And then it says the wisdom the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's saying, God, give me a knowledge of you. Now, let me ask you a question. Have any of you guys had Union Square donuts? 
Let me explain to you if you haven't had them. Uh, one of my favorite donuts is the uh, maple glazed bacon donut. Didn't really need to tell you. You can just look at me and be like, I know that you have that donut a lot. I understand that. Touche, right? But it's one of my favorite donuts. I love the maple glaze that's on it. I love how it's made. I love its uh, kind of heavy cake flavor. I love how sweet it is. It's mixed with this savory bacon. You take it in your mouth and you're like, this is awesome. Bite after bite after bite. It's so thick and it's so wonderful. And I just gave you an intellectual knowledge of it but it fails in comparison to the experiential knowledge of it, amen? If you had one of them donuts, you're like, bro, I know what you're talking about. Some of you have never moved in church and you just like amen me, you know, when I talked about a donut. Some of y'all saw you hands clapping like this because you've experienced this. That's what Paul's getting to. Not God, would you give me more knowledge, more information? Would you help me to experience the information? Let me experience the blessings you've given me. Guys, we want to be a church that doesn't just think right, but we feel right. We experience right. We worship him because we know him. Like we, we spent time with him. We trust him, not just because of a knowledge of him, but because we've seen that knowledge play out in our life. And that's what Paul's saying. I pray that you would have the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of walking with him, of trusting him in hard times. And then it says in verse 18, he says, God, would you give us the eyes of our hearts, make them enlightened. The eyes of our hearts help us to see. And then here's the three things. God, help us to see that number one, help us to know what is the hope to which he has called you. Number two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then number three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you who believe? Those are the three things, right? That we're gonna unpack, hope, inheritance, and power. Let's unpack this first prayer request that Paul gives in verse 18. He says again this, I pray that God would enlighten the eyes of your hearts, church, to see the great hope of our calling. Hope of our calling. What does that mean to hope? What does it really mean? What have you been called into? How do we understand this? And what does, it, what does it mean for your everyday life? If you think about it, the attainment of hope, guys, the procurement of it was just as rare of a commodity to the Ephesians in the first century world as it is for us today. The challenges of life, oppression and despair often dominated the ancient world. People had little hope of being able to better their situation and we often feel the same, don't we? We know that life and God's creation have good elements, but we're often beat down by the challenges, the evil, the sickness and death that fill our everyday lives, right? So what happens to us? We lose hope. And then we insulate ourselves from our despair, right? With movies, television, and other forms of entertainment, we go on adventures, we go on trips, not in a good way, but to just escape everything that's going on. And through our movie watching and TV watching, we're taught from an early age a specific message. And that message is we'll all live happily ever after. And so we pursue that illusion only to be pummeled by life's disappointments, failed relationships, and constant setbacks. And guys, it's because of this reality that Paul prays for God to enlighten the eyes of our disappointed and darkened hearts so that we could see the hope of our calling in the midst of our hard times. So we've got to ask this question, what is this hope? 
What is the hope of our calling and why would Paul beg God to give us the sight to see this hope? Well, guys, that word hope here in the Bible, it means way more than just wishful thinking for a better future. It's more than just, I hope this works out or I hope things can change. Or when you order your Uber after hanging out with your friends, like, I hope this Uber comes because it's getting late. It's more than just wishful thinking. No, biblical hope is more than wishful thinking. It's depending on the promises of God that are sure to come. Hope is waiting on a guaranteed future in the midst of a challenging present. And this is what Paul is getting at in his prayer, that we would know the guaranteed future of what we have in Christ. Bible teacher John Stott tells us the hope of our call to God actually takes us back to the very beginning of our Christian lives. We, we saw in this passage, this idea of God choosing us to be in a family with him. The same author writes that to those whom he predestined, he also called and those he called, he also justified. It is true. You and I must place our faith in Jesus. It's true. We are called on him to save us. But our call was a response to his call. The question now is, what did God call us for? Why did he call us and how is this hopeful for your everyday life? Listen, Paul wants this church to know the significance of why God chose and adopted them. He wants them to understand the benefits of God's adoption of them into his family and the consummation of God's plan for them in eternity. And that's what, through this text, God wants to tell us that his call to us was not a random or purposeless thing. He had some object in mind when he called us. He called us to something for something. He called us to something and for something. And this something is what the rest of the New Testament takes the time to tell us. We learn in 1 Corinthians 1.9 that God called us to belong to Jesus and into his fellowship, his care, his unity, where the almighty God would know you like a beloved child. We are called into that. In 2 Timothy 1.9, this hope is that we are called to be saints. And I'm not saying like maybe our, our Catholic church friends that believes if you get to a certain point of morality, you could be called a saint. The Bible tells us that it, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are saints, meaning we are made holy, not because of our morality, but because of Jesus' death in our place. And we're called to live a holy life because the one who has called us himself is holy and tells us that we're called to live holy as he is holy. We learn from Galatians that we're called to freedom. We're called out of the bondage of sin, which mars us and, and hurts our human flourishing. And God calls us to freedom. The life and plan he wanted us to live. This is the calling. When God called us out of sin, he called us to something, to himself, to freedom, to holiness for your flourishing. Colossians 3.15 tells us that we're called to be one body, to enjoy the peace of Christ that we can have together. We're called in Philippians to be worthy of that calling. Now we're already worth it because Jesus died for us, but we're called to live worthy lives. It means lives that love others, lives that obey 
Jesus. And guys, we are called in the Bible to forbear one another in love, not to quit each other when things are hard. We're called into this community. In other words, this calling to God is also a calling with other Christians of different cultures, of different colors and different classes. We're called into this family of faith. This is the hope of our calling, that God would call us from something to something for something. And so that's why we call each other a family of faith where we're like brothers and sisters and we share resources and we care for one another. We have this God who's a father figure to us, who cares for us and guides us and leads us. And we're called into fellowship with him. But the question is, there's other things that call us. And do we listen to those things more? The calling of temptation, the calling of lust, the calling of overworking, of overeating, of overtraveling, of overneglecting, And these other calls begin to cloud out our minds of what God has really called us to do, called us to be. My friend, the telephone already rang. God has called out to us through Jesus. And many of us have answered and placed our trust in him. But are you today hearing God's voice calling you to place your faith in him? Do you sense that you're not in a right relationship yet with God? And today you're hearing that this God doesn't tell you to live better, do better. He says, I've done better in your place. So all you need to do is trust in me and I give you a new record. I pay for your sins and I bring you into my family and you're like my child where I take care of you because that's what you're called in to. Guys, we learn all throughout scripture that God has called us to Christ, to holiness, to peace, to mission, to each other and to glory. More simply, our call to God was a call to come together in this new life in which we know, love, and follow Jesus in every area of our lives and we help others do the same for their joy. In this life, we enjoy fellowship with God and with each other. And then we look beyond our present sufferings. We look to glory where one day he'll fix it all. This is the hope which we are called to. And Paul prays that our eyes may be opened to know the hope that we've been called. Let me give you an illustration that might be helpful with this point here. Remember, hope is depending on the promise of God that is sure to come. And we've got some really dear friends, a part of our church that are uh, pursuing international adoption. There's a little boy that is in India where this beloved family, Haley and Bradley Wright, are seeking to adopt him. They've gone through a grueling process, which many of you have been praying for and even caring for them financially and emotionally and spiritually for them. And they've been waiting for months. If not, like we're past the year mark, right, Haley? We're past this year mark and they're waiting on this news that India can tell them that this child can be theirs. They're waiting, but it's just wishful thinking until recently they just got the news from their adoption agency, formed an agreement with India, where now they officially get to adopt this boy. We're waiting for the court dates. We're waiting on this approval. But the country and their adoption agency said, yes, this is your child. And then now they're just waiting for this promise to become the present reality. 
And what's interesting about this story is that for all of us who were close with their family, there's a lot of hardship and there's a lot of challenge. His birthday just passed and we're like, oh, we want him to be home, but we don't know if officially they're gonna be able to adopt him, all these things. And then they get this news of this hope, this future promise where the country of India and their adoption agency says, yes, you get to bring him home. And that changed the way they thought. It changes the way that they're able to breathe with ease. We celebrated over a meal uh, at their house with a couple friends the other evening, celebrating that there is now a, a hope. It's not just wishful thinking. There's a promise now that they're waiting for this and it changes how they think. They changes the weight of their life. It changes their circumstances. And guys, this is the hope that I want you to see that in the midst of the challenges that you and I face, the hope of the future necessarily doesn't change what we're going through. It changes how we go through it. Just like with Haley and Bradley, they know this child will be theirs. They didn't at first, but now they do. And so now there's a lighter ease. It's still a heavy weight. It's still challenging when this is your child and you've never met them and they're over there. But their circumstance yet has not changed. They've not met this child, but they now have a hope. They have a promise. And so they're able to walk with a little bit more ease, a little bit more light, because now what they prayed for with wishful thinking has been made a promise. And my friends, that's what God through Paul is wanting us to have. It's this future calling, this hope we have that we will finally get in eternity, but we get to experience now. So guys, I don't know what your life looks like, your relationships, your job. I don't know what hardship you're facing, but if you know that God's gonna fix everything broken, then you can walk with confidence in the here and now. Does that make sense? If you know what's coming, then you can hang on a little bit longer. Last analogy, just with, with this reference here. Um, when my cousins and I used to get together when I was kids, we would often wrestle. Now they're like five to seven years older than me. And we would set a time clock. And if we could get through a certain amount of time before the other one cried out uncle, then someone would get, you know, a big candy prize or whatever. Me being the littlest kid, I like rarely won but I didn't have to win. I just had to endure the time. So we set this timer for one minute. It's one of those small like lemon clocks. Have you guys seen those in the kitchen where it's like, and then it goes beep at the very end. And so we're wrestling and I'm always getting like demolished, but I know that I can win if I just can beat the clock, if I can just hang in there long enough. But if I didn't have a clock, then there's no, I would just call out immediately when the pain happened of our wrestling, right? All I knew I had to get to this one minute mark and the hope of the completion allowed me to endure the wrestling match with my cousins. The same thing for us. Hope doesn't change your circumstances. It changes you. It changes how you walk through those things, knowing that God will bring good from it. He will complete it. He'll heal whatever's wrong. He will bring you out of this thing one day. And so when you're in it, in the trial, in the struggle, you can say, God, there's a hope here. I'm called to you, for you. So whatever I face, there's a purpose. And if I can keep that clock in mind that this will change, something good will come of this, you promise to bring healing here, then you can endure. And you can endure with hope. Does that make sense? It doesn't change your circumstances. It changes you to know what you've been called to and for. That's the first thing that Paul prays for is that we would get it. We would see it. So no matter what happened in and around us, we could walk through it. 
The second of Paul's prayer requests is found in verse 18b. And it's very much related to the first one that we'll see. So again, Paul prays that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to number two, know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Notice that verbiage there, right? Paul wants us to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you know what that his is relating to? It's relating to God and his inheritance. And do you know what that inheritance is? It's us. It's those who have trusted in Jesus. Is that not mind-blowing that God thinks of us that way? First Peter 2 even tells us that we are a people of God's possession or God's inheritance. God views you and I like an inheritance. That's mind-blowing to me that there's so much value and treasure that he puts onto us that he considers us his inheritance. And Paul wants you and I to know this. The Holy Spirit through Paul wants you to know that you are valued and treasured. Your job doesn't make you value and treasured. Your looks don't make you value and treasured. No matter if you finish your PhD program, if you get married or have a kid, no status changes whether you're more or less valuable or treasured. God calls you his riches, his inheritance. My friend, if you struggle with low self-esteem, low value of self, in that lowliness, you can look up to the cross and you can see that this person, Jesus, died where you should have died so that you can have life in him. Guys, this is a beautiful, powerful story. And this changes everything for you. When you see that you are God's inheritance, this affects everything. Now we shared a little bit of this last week, but what's interesting about this is that there's this reciprocal inheritance that's happening um, this inheritance that we get in God and God gets in us. Now, listen, God doesn't need you and I. It's like, what do you buy Elon Musk for his birthday? A watch, a TV, like he can just buy it all, right? What do you get God? And I think that's the beauty of this is that you are seen as the treasure, as the gift, so there's a reciprocal thing happening. This inheritance is God having us and us having him. And God wants to set a new city for us to live in, a new experience or a new Eden, if you would. If you're familiar with the Bible, there's uh, this, in the very beginning in our holy scriptures, God walks with mankind, like in, in person together, they're in unity. Where, you know, you and I kind of pray and we want God, to, we want to hear his voice. In the very beginning of history, people heard God's voice. They walked with him and then we sinned and fell away from God. And then Jesus came and he's trying to get us back to that point. And one day he'll bring us there. He will do that in our life. So the beauty of this is that we get to live in this new reality with God one day where we are his inheritance and God is ours. And we see that glimpse as we talked last week, I'm gonna review it. We see that in Revelation 21. And I want you to see this beautiful but brief description of our heavenly inheritance Revelation 21 says this, in that day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Why? For the old things 
will have passed away because God put them to rest. And God and those who have trusted in him will dwell face to face together forever. Everything old will be made new, every injustice made right, and every brokenness in us and around us will be restored because of him. And then we live in this real life, real time city where we have this residency where there's no more corruption of power and politics and policies, where people of every nation, tribe and tongue are gathered in unity and equality without prejudice and racism. There's this symbolic language in Revelation of the tree of life and the river of life that issue from God's throne. And this symbolizes God giving us the real gifts of eternal life and eternal joy and eternal fulfillment and eternal love, eternal peace, eternal security, eternal comfort, all things of which are what we long for on this earth. And God's promising us it's yours and you'll get the fulfillment of it in glory when you and I pass away from this earth. Guys, this is real. As you and I might live 80 years, 90 years tops, and then you step into the inheritance, the gift that was given to you. This passage is telling us that for those who have a relationship with Christ, all the things their hearts long for most find their fulfillment in Jesus. So to summarize, what's this inheritance that we have obtained And what is Paul wanting our hearts to see? He wants us to know that our inheritance is God and his goodness forever. His restoring power, his healing presence, his redeeming love for all of time. To say it most clearly, guys, again, God is your inheritance. God's the point of the gospel. God's the point of heaven. God is the point of your inheritance the riches of what you need most in this earth is the riches of God in heaven who has come to this earth to save us, to bring us back to this heavenly place. And Christian, he's telling you today through this text that he's yours forever to heal every wound, fix every problem and to be the fulfillment of every longing. And this is yours forever and ever and ever. So because that's true, In the here and now, we don't look to anything or to anyone other than him to fulfill those longings. Our families can help represent that. We can enjoy a shadow of that in a spouse or a child or a job. We can experience enjoyment, but we can't build a worth or identity around those things because those only things are found in God. Guys, when we get this, when we deeply understand the value of our glorious inheritance that awaits us, because we're better able to endure whatever comes our way in this life. And we can even give God praise, even in the midst of trials. Why? Because we have this guarantee that we'll receive all that he's promised, including a heavenly future without tears and trials. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Meaning, no matter what you face, no matter the most challenging thing in your life, and God forbid that would was be a, abuse or neglect or sexual hurt against you, whatever that is, what God promises is not to minimize that, but he promises one day to maximize his grace and his healing so much so that that is lost on you. 
And that's the hope that I hold out to you. No matter what you're facing, whatever mental illness you have, God's grace doesn't just wipe it away. Doesn't minimize it. It just maximizes the fact that you're not gonna be there forever. God will bring healing to you on this side of earth or the next. And it's this inheritance that allows us to work through what we're working on right now. And let me illustrate that. Um, I shared recently with you that my grandfather had passed away maybe about a month or two ago. And he had became a Christian the last week of his life. He had lived 96 years and he finally accepted that he was in need of a savior, that he was indeed going to meet this God and he didn't feel ready to meet him because of things that he had done in his life against God's standards. And so he came to God and asked for God's forgiveness and grace and trusted that Jesus supplied that for him. And my grandfather became a Christian. One of the last couple things that he did in the last month or two of his life was unbeknownst to me until after he had passed away. Something, if you know my life or my family, I uh, don't come from a ton of money or uh, a ton of wealth or any of that. And we moved to Boston. Boston's expensive. It's a lot of money to live here. And then we're like, let's start a church. There's not a lot of money in church or any of that, right? Like we all kind of know that, right? And then uh, we felt led to adopt these two precious little girls. And then I'm like, how am I going to afford this? What am I going to do? How's it? And it's just anxiety of finances. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys are like working on degree programs and you're trying to buy a house. And like some of you amen in back there, like it's hard to live in this city. And so I'm praying, God, how do I care for my family and, and steward our finances and, and live beneath our means so we can be generous to give and care for others? Not that we're perfect in that, but there was a deep kind of anxiety about all of that. Unbeknownst to me, my grandfather set up an account for my little ones. And in that account was an inheritance to them. Because of their adoption into his family, he set up an inheritance for them that they are not aware of. And with all of my anxiety and worry about how to care for their future and how much it cost to live here and how do I pay for their education and their college and their dorm room and their life when they didn't come from a family that's giving us a bunch of things to take care of them? How would I do this? My grandfather humbly set up an inheritance. And when I got the knowledge of that, my anxiety passed. And I think the mind-blowing thing about that is that's what God has done for us. It didn't change my current circumstance because they're not going to college yet, but it's this inheritance that's going to care for them. And that's helping me with my anxiety of finances and worry, just like it struggles with you. And I think we're all would like, yeah, we'd love some grandfather to give me some cash, but that's not the point of what this story is. That The point of it is that when we know our future inheritance, it helps with our current and present anxieties and worries. And my friends, when we have our minds set on a heavenly picture of what things will do and be like, it changes the way you live now. So for me, I still have some anxiety and worry about how our family make it long-term in Boston and our church is doing wonderful to care. This is not like a begging, give us more money. That has nothing to do with this conversation. This conversation is simply that God gives us an inheritance and it helps us with our troubles, worries, and anxieties. And when we know what's coming, we can help endure with what we're going through now. 
That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, fix your eyes, not on what's seen, but what's on unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen and unseen is eternal. My friends, if our hearts can grasp this, the inheritance we have in Christ, it changes the way we think about our present struggles. And it gives us the hope and help we need to endure life's biggest challenges. Well, guys, here's the third and final prayer request that Paul asks God. And it's found there in verse 19, guys, and it's so powerful. I want you to lean in and listen to what he prays for. Again, we saw him say, God, I, I don't cease to pray to you. God, I, I thank you for this church, for their faith and their love. And God, I pray that you give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. He says, God, I, I pray that they would know the great hope of their calling. God, I pray that they would know the inheritance that they have in you. And then he says this, he says, God, I, I pray that you would enlighten their eyes, the hearts to know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power towards those who believe. And then he explains it. This power is according to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And then that was far above every rule and every authority, every power over every dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Verse 22. And he put all things, therefore, then under his feet. And then he gave him as the head over all things. And then the church, which we are then his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Listen, here's what I'm thinking Paul is praying for us to understand. Listen, if God's call looks back to the beginning of our Christian walk and God's inheritance looks to the end of our Christian walk, then surely God's power spans the period of call and inheritance and it's the power that you and I can live in right here and right now. And it's on this point that Paul really concentrates on. He spends a lot of time here praying that we would understand this power according to the power that Jesus displayed. This is really powerful for only God's power can fulfill the expectation which belongs to his call and it can only bring us safely to the riches of his inheritance when we go to heaven. It's the power that brings us from something to something, the call. It's this power that gives us the inheritance. Paul is convinced that God's power is sufficient and so he accumulates a lot of words about Jesus to convince us this. He writes not only of God's power, but also literally this is kind of like a, um, a little translation. It talks about the energy of his might and his strength. It's the working of his great might towards us. And he prays that we might know the greatness of it. Indeed, the immeasurable greatness of it that's towards you. So here's the question. How should we come to know the surpassing greatness of God's power. What does this even mean that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power? What does that mean and how does it affect our life? So what Paul does is he shows you a public demonstration of this power 
in the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus in verse 20 through 23. Paul refers to it in three successive powerful events. He says, let me show you this power. And then he says, first, this power was present when God raised Jesus from the dead. But the power didn't stop there. Secondly, God made Jesus to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all competitors. And he has put then all things under his feet. And then it goes further. Thirdly, he has made Jesus the head over all things and all the church, which is his body. And guys, these three things belong together. It's because of Christ's resurrection from the dead and his enthronement over all powers of evil that he's been given headship over this church and the church. The resurrection and ascension were a decisive demonstration of God's divine power. For there are two powers, guys, that humanity can't control, right? Which hold us bondage and their sin and death. People are mortal, we can't avoid death. People are fallen, we can't overcome evil. But God in Christ has conquered both sin and death and therefore he can and will rescue us from both. The power God demonstrated in raising Christ from the dead and then placing him above all creation is the same power, guys, that right now he's exercising towards us to bring about the blessings which he's promised to us. Such power guarantees that we will receive the great hope and the great inheritance. The power is also available to us to make the hope and the riches the focus of our present life so that we live God's way and not the world's and where we seek God's inheritance and not the world. Do you guys see what I'm saying? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead that rose him against every power, uh, whether it's every principality, every demon, every spirit. God is the most powerful being in all creation. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead put everything above, he put Jesus above every other thing and then put everything underneath. And that same power that did all that with Jesus, all of that power is now being aimed at us to ensure that every single one of those blessings in verse three through 14 will happen in your life. Is that not mind-blowing? That's the power, the same power that did all those things for Jesus, the same resurrection power. God's aiming that towards you to ensure that you know how you're adopted. You know how you're loved. You know how you've been forgiven. You know how you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God's ensuring that just as the resurrection was a powerful experience, that you would experience all of the blessings of God. God, that is powerful to think about. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is being aimed towards you to help you experience and know all the blessings, all the promises that he's given to you. And guys, that's the guarantee. This power is the guarantee of the inheritance. It's the thing that lets you know that for sure these things are yours. Whatever brokenness, whatever challenge, whatever hardship, if you think about those things and you found yourself hopeless, you find yourself discouraged, you kind of want to give up, you're looking at your marriage and you're like, is it always going to be like this? My kid's always going to be frustrating? Is work always going to be challenging? No, it won't be. There's a life ahead of you. There's something great. And when that timer runs out, he fixes everything. And what that allows us to do is endure. And what that allows us to do is to see why am I in this hard place? Maybe in this hard place, I need to extend a grace or I need to learn something about you, God, in this hard place. It allows us not to bail on marriages. 
bail on children, bail on church, bail on community. Guys, this power ensures us that all of these blessings will be a part of our life, either here or in glory. And that's why Paul spends all this time to talk about that. That's the power towards you. God is ensuring that this is yours. So church, here's how we conclude. For it's this reason, Koa Brighton, that we must not cease to pray for one another. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. May God enlighten the eyes of our hearts that you might see what is the hope in which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what are the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Guys, let's take a moment and let's pray this together. Let's pray. 